Hey, podcast world. Welcome hey, Rob to... Beller. Lee, you cut me off. <laughs> start hey, over. No, I don't want to start over. I want our audience to know what I have to deal with every time we do a podcast. <laughs> podcast world. This is my co-host, Lee Boyd, who Hi. is full disclosure. Can, can we fully disclose? Lee's having a little bit of a hard day today. Pretty hard day. Hard Pretty day. hard day today. Okay. And even though he's having a hard day, he showed up ready, yeah. willing to do a podcast. Maybe With ready. With my notes in hand. Ready might be an exaggeration. Yeah, ready might not be, but I did have notes in hand. Okay. All right. So, so um, should we talk about why we're here? We're here for another exciting episode of FNO InsureTech with your hosts, Rob Beller and Lee Boyd in Waco, Texas. And we have a guest on today who we think is really special because not only is he a VP of claims for a major insurance company, he's also a customer. And so we happen to know Mick Zondori, vice president of claims at Kemper. And we happen to know how clever and smart and well-educated he is in, in property claims and kind of a guy who's making decisions about insure tech and buying insure tech and on the cusp of it. Yeah. I mean, Mick is a very well-spoken carrier executive, and uh, I look forward to hearing what he has to, to say about InsureTech, about where he sees the world of insurance going, and then, uh, you know, maybe maybe some information in, into what InsureTech companies could talk about whenever they come up to a carrier. Right. One of the reasons I wanted him on was because he's a classically trained claims guy, as they, and that's that's a phrase that you hear in the claims world are you classically trained? Which means, did you come up through the ranks being an adjuster in different kinds of uh, ways, shapes, and forms? Right. His, he was a large loss adjuster. He was a, a casualty adjuster. He was an auto adjuster. So he knows all the different lines of business. And he's a senior executive who's making these decisions and looking out towards the future. So he brings a very educated, claims-educated viewpoint to the conversation of InsurTech. Well, I'm excited about hearing it. Why don't, we, uh, why don't we jump right on in? We'll do that. So without further ado, here is our interview with Mick Zondori, Vice President of Claims at Kemper Insurance. Hey there, podcast world. We are here today with our guest, Mr. Mick Zondori from Kemper. How are you doing, Mick? I am well. Thank you so much for joining us. Where, where in the world are you today? I am actually. I'm. I have a uh, nice working day from home uh, in Winston Salem, North Carolina. A bit overcast here, but it's, uh, beautiful weather altogether, and just uh, happy to be working out of my eight foot by eight foot uh, hovel that I have here in the back of my house. <laughs> eight by no, eight. actually, it's it's uh, it, it was by design. So I I designed my house, and um, one of the things that I made a mistake in my last place was I had a very large office. It was a 500 square foot office. I cut it in half. One half was my office. So I had about 250 square feet. The other half was the playroom for my boys when they were growing up, which wasn't well thought out. Right. <laughs> Having your yeah. office right next to the recreation room. Right. Uh, but one of the, I, I have a bad habit of collecting things. And consequently, my 250 square foot office was absolutely jam packed with papers and files and old tools and you name it, it was in there. So I thought, I'm not sure I've changed my behavior any. So if I if I limit myself to only 64 square feet, that's that's a much smaller area that I can clutter. And then the other thing I did was my office is literally 
in the farthest part of my home away from noise. So you know, my, my boys have the entire other side of the house with the rec room over there and access to the basement. So I'm, I'm literally on a little peninsula of my home. So you're, you're, it's pretty nice, actually. You're on Mick Island, you might say. I like that. So full disclosure, Mick mm. is of 470s and we thank you for your business. We've uh, been working for you for a couple of years now. And let's, let's jump in and talk for a minute about what the heck it is that you do. You are the VP of claims at Kemper. Explain to our audience what you do and what your span is and, and, and what Kemper is as well. Sure. So Kemper uh, has been around quite some time, one of the older insurance companies, and they pretty much have invested themselves in personal insurance, which uh, we, we formerly called preferred. So that preferred book of business remains. That was kind of our mainstay and bread and butter for many years. In more recent times, we've, we've acquired several companies, one being Alliance United um, and another most recently being Infinity Auto, both non-standard auto companies. So in the claims world, we have essentially the non-standard side and we have the preferred side or the personal insurance side. So I have all of claims over the preferred uh, side of the house and uh, several of my peers uh, manage the claims on the, on the non-standard side. So I have property and auto and non-standard, it, it's almost entirely all auto. And also part of what I do is manage the catastrophes and the catastrophe response. And I obviously work with many of my business partners to do that. But because the vast majority of the dollars that are spent during a catastrophe come out of the property line of business, I pretty much own the catastrophe response for the company. So it's a big job um, mm -hmm. and expectations are what they are. But uh, so far I've been with Kemper. I'm coming up on I think September 18th will be two years. It's been a great ride. Haven't, haven't uh, at all ever regretted coming to the company. Very, very challenging. Obviously, the growth that we've experienced has, has presented many challenges as well. Uh, acquiring new companies is always exciting, but constant pursuit of improvement uh, while you're growing at an exponential rate seems to be more than challenging at times. Uh, but putting together a strong leadership team has been what I've been focused on for the last year now. And I'm happy that we've been able to assemble a strong collection of people with diverse abilities from many different companies. And also, we've been able to leverage some of the uh, Kemper staff that has been here for quite some time. The institutional knowledge that they carry has been sure. fantastic and a huge help. Sure, sure. It's it's nice to have somebody who knows the waters to help you navigate, right? What what's right. already so you're a property guy. Is that where you yeah, came from? Predominantly, you're, my yeah, my career has property. predominantly been in property. Yep, that's right. So I started with the Hartford Insurance and was with them for. Uh, about 13 or 14 years, and I worked my way up through the ranks, really from a desk adjuster. And when I left them, I was helping with catastrophe management. Uh, I had run field teams during numerous storms. Uh, I had handled, well, I was a, um, one of their senior most GAs handling you know, the largest commercial claims they had. And Hartford was predominantly at that time commercial. I don't know where they're at now. I haven't really followed too closely what they're doing, but and then I left there and went to Selective Insurance, and I was system. I was hired as the assistant vice president of large loss and catastrophe, and then two years later was promoted to VP over commercial and personal lines, property claims, and also catastrophe management there. 
and spent about just shy of, well, it was about seven and a half years at Selective. And you're a trained adjuster, yes? I mean, you, you went through adjuster school and you came up and... Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I know that you, I'm, I'm bona fide. Uh-huh. So you're, you're like the, the, you're the adjuster who made good. You learned how to be an adjuster. And I think that traditionally, for those people who are listening who don't necessarily work in the carrier world or market specifically, or with carrier types, I mean, that was, that's kind of a very old school way of working your way up. You became an adjuster, you became a supervisor and a manager, and you worked yourself up the ladder to, to hear you are a VP. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. And, and you are also correct. It's, that is an old school way of doing it. More often than not, many of my peers in, in other companies do not have the, I guess, the upbringing that I had coming from a desk handler and working all the way out into the field, becoming a, you know, a large lost property adjuster, also having experience running FNOL units, you know, auto divisions. It's, it's an, uh, now it's a very unusual career path. We all like to think that we've got, you know, these robust career paths where people, you know, have a very clear pathway from clerical all the way up to the president of the company. But the reality is typically when you get to my level um, nowadays, it's like they, they want you to have a JD, right? They want you to be an attorney. They, they want, yeah. So a lot of companies are, are, have steered in that direction and there's nothing wrong with that. No. But one thing that I've always been proud of is the fact that when my, well, when my employees come to me and, and they have concerns, they have issues regarding processes and, and the things that are implemented, I understand what they're talking about because I, I understand the ripple effects of the decisions that I make from my level all the way down to clerical staff because I've done those jobs. So whenever you are looking for uh, a new employee and hire them, on, is that important to you to hire somebody with the insurance background? Um, it depends on the position. Uh, so if we're talking property, when I look at a property field adjuster, let's say, there's a lot of independent uh, adjusters that would apply for positions that we have, open field positions. Mm -hmm. And, and we've, we've taken a chance on some of them. What I prefer and what I, what I understand in my experience is Adjusters who have been trained first by a carrier have a very strong understanding of what I want, right? They understand the mechanics of, of claims adjusting for a carrier. They know I that, I want, that I want rapid response. I want high level of engagement for my customers. We want a deep-seated investigation not only into the cause of the loss, and the, uh, the factors around the loss, but also open up the policy and really dive deep into the coverage and understand, is it covered, is it not? If it is, what kind of coverage is going to apply? And then produce uh, you know, a, a report that's going to enable us to expedite the claim through resolution and closure. And oftentimes, IAs come from a construction background, which is mm -hmm. fine too. Yeah. But and that makes them that makes them great viable candidates for the IA world because that's a completely different platform, right? They have to turn and burn, they gotta move claims, they gotta get those estimates out, and they gotta get on to the next one. And guys that have strong construction backgrounds are really good at doing that. Yeah. That doesn't necessarily work or translate well into my world. So for that position you know, we like somebody that's classically trained by a carrier. And it, it varies by position. 
So that's one of the reasons that we wanted you to be on today is because of the real solid and extensive background that you have in insurance claims. But now here you find yourself as a senior leader in a big claim department in 2019. And things are changing. Is it fair to say that? And of course, we're thinking in terms of technology and insure tech. Right. So with that in mind, are things changing, Nick? In the auto world, they're changing extremely fast. Technology is is really threatening to take over. And of course, and, and this is not quite as big in property. So I'll talk about auto first. Sure, the please. technology that's out there for auto is is pretty fascinating. It's scary too. You know, every day I wake up, I think to myself, but let me back up. There used to be a time where I would say there's always going to be a need for claims adjusters. You're not going to be able to outsource everything. I'm not sure I believe that anymore, except what we do find is that people, although they're, they're accepting of new technologies, when it comes to claims, they, if something goes a little sideways, they want a warm body to talk to. They still want interaction with human beings. And it's, it's funny, too. I was recently reading some articles around you know, this phenomena where the millennial generation really adopted technology. They're all handheld devices. They're completely connected and all this. The, the, the generations coming up are kind of, they're rejecting it. And they're, they're going back to, now, I'm not saying they're, they're wholeheartedly, you know, rejecting it and they're not using their smartphones. That's not the case. And this is getting a little uh, deep, maybe, but philosophically. Okay. That's okay. But I believe that at some level, human beings need interaction with other human beings. And the technology is just not, it's not filling that void. That said, getting back to your, to answering your question, Technology is moving at a very, very accelerated rate, and it's, it will not be long before much of this stuff is automated, and, uh, you know, there's, there's an algorithm for everything. It's like there's a pill for everything. If you got a, you know, if you got a pain, you can take a pill for everything. There's an app for everything. Let me tell you, what, there, it, there seems to be an algorithm for everything, and people are figuring this out, very, very smart people, much smarter than myself, but I still believe um, no matter how far down the technology road we get, we're still going to need good people who can speak intelligently, who can write intelligently, and make sense of the applications and understand the technology and its limitations and be able to always fill that void with just a warm, friendly voice on the other end of the phone. I like to hear you say that. You know, we have spoken with many people, and it seems like different people have different opinions. Recently, over the past four or five uh, interviews, we've actually been able to hear more of that, where it seems like it's leaning more towards the actual human aspect of a claim versus just the technology. You know, but that, that does lead us into a little bit of what we want to talk about, and that's insured tech itself. You know, is there anything you can talk to us about? What, what gets you going on the insured tech side, uh, maybe for property or for auto? Well, I can tell you for both. It's, it's really saving time on the the mundane task of scaling so for auto it's you know the technologies where we can utilize an application send a link to an insured and have them 
you know, take a take a photo of their car and we can adjust it from the desk. The newest, you know, technologies that are emerging are three-dimensional where we can literally have the insured walk around the car. It can differentiate damage between recent and pre-existing. It will match it up with, um, you know, prior claims and understand, okay, we've already paid for this or even another carrier has already paid for this damage talking to the cars, you know, through, through, uh, you know, wireless technology and really mm -hmm. identifying the vehicle itself, whether or not it's uh, a stolen vehicle or, you know, it's a chop shop vehicle or it's a flooded vehicle uh, or prior salvage vehicles, you know, those types of things are really, really exciting to me because we spend an inordinate amount of time gathering data. And right. if there's a technology that can save us that time, now, obviously that means, reduction in labor force eventually, right? And everybody talks about, you know, AI is taking over. Well, I don't know that that's a bad thing uh, because, you know, that effort, just data gathering and, and investigating, if that can be put to use in another way that's still productive and, and still uh, enabling us to move claims quickly and pay the right amount, then you know, who wouldn't be in favor of that? side it's the same thing you have you know the the uh, uh many almost all counties now are using the gis systems but they're also integrating their their technology and their platforms with all new construction will be able to someday soon scale out homes now of course th there's a lot of different ways to do that some some say it's going to come with you know the 3d rendered uh smartphones as people walk through their homes it'll scale out their homes mm -hmm. uh, three-dimensionally and then, of course, we can just access that from a computer, you know, number of different ways that can happen. But, you know, it, it all presents many different challenges for the insurance world. Ultimately, where I think our Achilles heel is in all of this technology is the vast number of different coverages that are out there. And of course, insurance companies are always trying to modify their product to differentiate themselves from their competitors, right? right? We cover this, they don't. We give you, you know, this type of coverage, you know, our competitors don't. And, and the Kemper's no different. We're constantly looking for ways to provide people with more coverage and differentiate, our, or differentiate ourselves from our competitors uh, while still providing it at a competitive rate. The challenge moving forward with technology, as I see it, is we're going to have to start developing products that are more standardized. So if we truly want to automate claims, I think we're going to have to get to a point where we, we have a, call it a universal type of product, mm -hmm. and then we, we provide, you know, some bells and whistles. And you could argue that we already have that with ISO forms, but not really, especially in the property world. That's, that's not the case. So kind of taking a page from the auto side, is that what you're saying? Yeah, I think so. Property's really gotten out of hand, but um, it's, it's an extremely complex line of business, though. And, and unless you've actually handled property claims, and particularly commercial property claims, you just don't understand how deep that rabbit hole is. You know, you start talking about the commercial buildings, that's one thing, but then you're into the contents, and the contents for commercial is not only the you know, the office chairs and the, you know, the furniture, fixture and equipment, but then it's also inventory. And then you're talking about loss of business income and other time and melon components. Never mind your builder's risk coverages and ocean marine, you know, all the inland marine coverages. And, uh, and now you have, you know, you have uh, information technologies that are being covered under property coverages. 
and and it's it's a it's a very very complex and technical mammoth or behemoth that uh, has gotten I think it's gotten out of control over the years with regard to uh, how we cover things and and I believe also you're seeing some companies draw back from that because the costs of of adjudicating those claims have gotten so high I'm not even talking about the cost of the claims themselves I'm just talking about the cost of actually handling the claims because of the tech, you know, the technical aspect of them. And then the complexities of the policies, you know, you really have to be careful about how you rate them or you could, you could really get in trouble because some of these losses are are extremely large. So are you in a position today where you're being uh, shown and pitched and sold on a lot of different insure tech tools and technologies and ideas? I have literally employed a person on my staff to take those calls. It's, it is, um, the phone rings off the hook is nonstop in auto. Yeah. In both auto and in property. And, you know, a lot of it is more of the same really. Right. And, but that doesn't mean that we don't, you know, we, we disregard people and just say, ah, you're, you know, you're, you're just pitching something that we're already using. We always give people their five minutes. You know, we, we want to see because you just never know. You never know who's got that next, you know, who's, who's the next Microsoft and has the next Windows. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, that's obviously not a good analogy, but it's true. You know, yeah. these things are being developed so quickly and there are so many intelligent people out there that understand how big that market is. And we don't want to turn our nose up at, at any startup company that has, you know, the next shiny red button, because it could be the one that saves us millions of dollars a year um, and also improves our customer service and, and cycle time and that sort of thing. So you had to, you had to add a staff almost uh, just to, uh, to, <laughs> just to I, I would your... like to think that, you know, even though I'm a vice president, I would like to think I have that much authority, but no, oh. I repurposed one of my okay. people and told him, oh yeah, by the way, here's another hat. That's, uh-huh. <laughs> that's essentially uh-huh. what I did. Yeah. You know, everything you do, here's more. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. That's right. Yeah. They, they do it to me. So I do it to them. Yeah. Well, it all goes you, downhill. That, if you want something done, give it to a busy person, right? I've said one thing I've learned how to do. Uh, I've learned how to delegate. Uh-huh. <laughs> I think it's obvious for everybody that's listening that you work both in auto and property today, but are you excited about the next few years of property? Do you think like in 10 years, it'll look real different? Cause I agree with you. And I think that, you know, one of the most complicated parts of property is almost certainly no two subdivisions are alike, but in often no two homes are alike, different materials, different way it was constructed so on and so forth. And so it's impossible to standardize. So to come up with standardized tools to work with non-standardized product is hard. Do you think that those problems get bridged in in five or 10 years? I mean, when you look out in the future, do you think it's going to be really different than it is today? You said that you see people staying involved in it, but but what about the, the actual getting it done? So that's a great question. And this is, of course, my own personal opinion. And my experience has has taught me to never bet against technology, right? I used to say, they'll never have, they'll never solve X, right? And of course, they solve it with Y. Um, But the timing and knowing how long 
it is going to take to standardize things and for the the reasons that you've brought up not least of which the the infinite number of building materials infinite number of building construction techniques just like the auto industry is you know you know a windshield used to be able to replace a windshield for 200 bucks and now you know some cars is 3500 5000 dollars for a windshield because of the technologies that that's in them it's the same thing with homes. You know, we're seeing we're seeing products in homes, smart products being put in homes. I'm not just talking about appliances. We're talking about smart windows, smart floors, uh, you know, smart systems that control your entire house. And these things weren't necessarily contemplated when people were writing rate sheets. And, and now they're coming up with cool technologies to help mitigate losses, like you know, leak detectors and things like that. Um, and and of course your your technologies where you can carry your uh, your theft prevention or your, you know, security system on your, on your smartphone. But the reality is I personally don't think that in the next 10 years, the property landscape is going to look that different. I really don't. I think there's just too many things to solve. I also believe, like I said, you know, the, the policies being as complex as they are, particularly in the commercial line of business and the, the, the visceral, competition that's out there between carriers. Uh, I don't I don't see that changing any time in the next decade. So whenever these insure tech companies are reaching out to you, uh, what are they what are they pitching to you to 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 tell you that things will be changing? Are they are they All thinking the, that things will change? Yeah, I mean and they have to, right? Because that's their business. Their their focus and their vision is on, you know, how can we automate the world? For me, it's it, it just goes back to my basics, which is how do I handle a claim quickly, accurately, and still provide, you know, excellent world-class customer service to people. And it sounds hokey, but that's really all it, all it is, right? It's, right. I got to pay the right amount. I got to pay it as fast as I can. And I got to, I got to retain that client. I do not want to lose my customers. And that's very, very challenging. When you introduce technologies, you lose the human element. And you lose the most important part of that is is the customer service aspect. So if you know a company comes to me and they pitch a new technology, one of the first questions I, I ask them, and they always look at me puzzled, is how is this going to help me retain my customer? Oh, we can do it fast. No, I get this. This might speed things up, but how is it going to help me retain my customers? Because you're going to do you're going to go to my competitor and pitch the same thing. Right. If it doesn't, you know, if it doesn't solve three things and that's you know accuracy speed which is the resolution part and customer service then you know i'm challenged to really understand the efficacy of of a new technology that's that's introduced doesn't mean we don't go for it it's that human element is really really missing everybody wants to pitch um you know weather technologies and and give you more and more and more there's there's tons of data out there and uh, you know i'm flooded with it but there's only a small amount that I really need to run my shop well. I think that you're hitting on, uh, you know, something that's really important, and that is, um, what's your goal? What's your goal? And right. you know, different different claim departments and different management have different things that they're trying to achieve or accomplish, depending on the company, and 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 how they operate. You guys aren't a mutual; you're a stock company, correct? And so, right, you might, that's correct. You, you might, you might skin it differently than, than somebody else will. 
you know, one of the things I see with InsureTechs is, is that there's so many tools, it's hard to narrow them down. And I'm sure that once you choose a tool, it's hard to integrate it into your workflow. Is, is that correct? That's it, it, Rob, that's, that's probably one of the most challenging things that I have because, you know, you think about Kemper uses, uh, let's, let's go down the property line for a second. Kemper uses uh, Xactimate. So we use an Xactware product, and that's what we are writing all of our estimates on. And that, of course, is, is uh, the industry leader in that, in that estimating uh, platform. And if we adopt, let's say, you know, Xactware, I think, is owned by Verisk. I think it's a Verisk company, right? Right. Um, if Verisk is huge, so if they buy another company and they come and say, hey, you know, you're using Xactware, here's another product that we have, brand new, out of the box. Look at look at this new shiny red button. And it's exciting to jump at those things and say, oh, well, you know, hey, what if we can consolidate our billing? It's going to save us time. We can just pay one billing. Maybe we can have an economy to scale and get a discount because we're already using Xactware. And all that gets exciting, but you hit the nail on the head. As soon as I introduce a new technology to my staff, I have to have IT spend, you know, ridiculous amounts of hours trying to implement that so that my staff can actually use it in an intelligent way that doesn't cause them more duress, more time, and slow the process down. So that's one of the things that technology I've found, you don't have to go any further than email. You know how much time I spend all day long answering emails. It used to, it never was this way. So when I started 24 years ago in the industry, I still, you know, when I was a general adjuster handling, you know, multi-million dollar commercial property claims, that was probably going back 20 years ago. I still mailed my file to home office, literally packaged it up into a banker's box, mailed it up. And somebody reviewed those papers from end to end. They would review those boxes. And, and then ship them back two or three weeks later. Now, we can all say that's really, really inefficient. And email has, has really helped us there. But I'm going to tell you, the amount of time that email steals away from our productivity is ridiculous. And it's no different with new technologies. You have to be very, very careful about that shiny red button that you want. Yes, pressing it is easy. Mm-hmm. But, but, right. but wire, wiring it up and making sure that you understand uh, the ripple effects and how it's going to impact the people that actually have to use it. You know, again, that's one of the things that I'm cognizant of all the time is what are my decisions going to do downstream? Right. And we see, we see that in pilots where, and this gets back to the goal comment that I made that if, if the goals aren't real clear, if things aren't set up just so, <laughs> the opportunity for problems and for things falling through the cracks are pretty great. So if you're a claim department and you have a tight process and then you're going to go throw a wrinkle in that, there might be areas of problems that you don't even anticipate that could occur that might rear their ugly head. And like I said, I mean, we've had that happen in pilots. Not all of our pilots have, have gone well. So we've, we've had one or two that have gone poorly mostly because things weren't thought through all the way. You get caught up in the excitement to the exclusion of considering all the possible consequences. Yeah, that's true. And, and normally the downstream effect is it, it lands on the backs typically of your employees and the customer. And so when, when a new technology is not implemented or executed properly, 
you stand to really upset the apple cart. You could lose good people because they just get fed up and they're like, I, you know, I can't do this. It's, it's not worth it. I'm, I'm done. They cash in their chips and they leave. And I'll get back to that in a second because that's a problem, a major problem that the entire industry has. Um, but the other thing is, you know, the, the ripple effects downstream is, you know, the, 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 how does it aggravate the customer? And they have to be very cognizant of that. But, you know, getting back to the, the personnel matter, losing good people is probably, there's not a lot that keeps me awake at night, but that's one of the things it does. Um, we have a tremendous talent gap and um, skills gap. And I, almost every insurance article I pick up in magazine, you know, every other plain magazine I get, it's talking about it. And there is a massive gap. And right now, it's it's a it's a good place to be if you're in insurance because the the unemployment rate in insurance is zero. It's, it's it's starting. They claim it's like 1.9 percent, but I can't believe it's that high. Uh, those must be the people who who are either in between their jobs or um, I don't know. I don't really don't know where, where the 1.9 percent comes from because we can't hire people fast enough. Um, now auto's a little bit easier. I will right. say that finding auto adjusters there's you know they're out there property and general liability it's it's getting harder especially commercial gl you know if, if you have uh some tenure and experience with uh you know cgl you have opportunities and then mm-hmm. property is like if you're an a-list player we we want you i i can't hire them fast enough now the, the challenge there the real challenge is I need them in certain places. You know, you, if you're a, if you're a rock star property adjuster and uh, you know, you got your scars and your marks and, and you're good to go and you live in Paducah, Kentucky, I'm, I'm not sure I can use you, <laughs> but we have openings all over the country. And, and that, that is the one challenge with property is, is uh, particularly with field people, you have to have them in locations where they can get at the claims in, in short order. Right. And of course, we don't want you to ever hire another field person as long as you live. But we that's are, another, no, I uh, totally understand that. <laughs> that's an entire another conversation. I'm glad you got in. I'm glad you got in the help wanted plug because uh, it's the least we could do to give that back. But but seriously, we're, we're running out of time. But there's one area that I wanted to go to before, before we say goodbye. And that is uh, for those people who don't know uh, Mix on Dory, a super talented woodworker in fact <laughs> the first time i met mick we're talking about it and he's explaining it to me and he's showing me pictures of a pile of wood that looks like you know somebody cut it off a tree it's a pile of wood like firewood and he and it's all covered with uh tarps and whatnot because it's waiting for him to make it literally into lumber <laughs> for him to use <laughs> in his little projects that he has. So whatever gains I just made in, in uh, my pontifications here over the last 45 minutes, I've just lost because you basically yeah. painted the picture right. that I'm a very uninteresting person who gets really excited about lumber. The point that I wanted to get at was you've redone your whole home. I mean, didn't you build your house? I mean, did, aren't you, you're like, a, you're, you're incredibly well, I, I, with your hands. Yeah, yeah, I am. I mean, I've um, I've done just about every phase of of construction um, over the years. I started out as a kid, literally, um, and I am a self-professed jack of all trade. But uh, have have done just about everything over the years. Uh, bought a house, my first house. Uh, lived in it for 14 years. It was a fixer-upper. 
bought it for a song and uh you know 14 years later i was still fixing the thing up um do not recommend working on a home that you have to literally gut while you're in while you're in it and you're living in it that was an experience in and of itself uh they say it was a labor of love but i love none of it had i been able to do what i was uh trained to do and that is work on the house when it was unoccupied that would have been fantastic because it was an old 1840s home but i did not build my current home we did we did put together our, our uh, dream home here and we built it four years ago. I designed it and um, I'm, my contractor was, uh, he was pretty fed up with me because I only lived a mile away. I was here every day and I was telling him how to do his job. Uh, but he was a good guy, good sport and, and built us a fantastic home. But um, now I, there were elements of it that I left undone because as, as you mentioned, I, I do woodworking, fine woodworking. Uh, I do look out uh, the window at trees and, and see how beautiful they are, but also picture them furniture and, <laughs> and flooring and uh, have solar wood kilns and, and uh, dry lumber. And I'm actually getting ready three weeks from now, getting ready to break ground on my new um, cabinet shop. Uh, it'll be kind of my dream shop. And uh, I'm pretty excited about that because uh, I can finally get some progress on my honeydew list. So for those of you out there who are thinking about uh, bringing different kinds of tools to, uh, to Mick in his work, just know that the man knows tools. So. <laughs> Indeed I do. Well, listen, we thank you. Waiting for this uh, has been worth every minute, and we appreciate your insights and your intelligence and your time. Thanks for being with us. Uh, absolutely. Thank you. Appreciate again the invite and uh, look forward to talking to you guys soon again. Okay, you got it. Say goodbye, Lee. Goodbye, Mick. Thanks, Lee. It was great to have Mick on. Great to hear what he had to say. And when when we have people on like Mick, it makes me think about the insure tech people that we have who listen in on the podcast and the learning that they can do from listening to insurance professionals, because that's where they're sent. I mean, those are the people that have to say yes and buy it. Right. Buy their product or service or tool or whatever it may be. And I think, it's, I think that a lot of what he gave today were good insights and tips into what's going on in the mind of, uh, of a senior manager. Right. And that is, what's, you know, is it, is it going to help me go fast? Is it going to be, is it going to help me with my accuracy? And is it going to promote the customer experience so that I retain people? Because as we all know, most customer losses happen because of the claim. Right. They have a bad claim experience, they leave. So how can, how can you, the InsurTech provider, help me solve those problems? Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think those are great questions for everybody to ask themselves whenever delivering a product to a carrier. Okay, well, we thank Mick for being with us today. And we thank all of you for listening and ask that you subscribe to our podcast and that you look forward to our next episode of FNO InsureTech. And until then, goodbye, everybody.